Welcome to this edition of Grown Woman Stuff with me, Julie Jones. Today, we got to talk about our power, sis. Harnessing our political and personal power, I have nicknamed it the Stacey Abrams effect. After the 2020 election, you know, we saw people just celebrating black women. Black women saved America. I mean, but hashtag, we've been done knew that we got power, right? But sometimes harnessing not just our political power, but personal power can be difficult because we have a myopic view of ourselves. We don't see the totality of our greatness or potential, or we think we're missing the degrees, the right crowd, the accolades, the clubs, and question just how much power we have. Look, we all have personal power. It doesn't matter the likes, the clicks, the followings. We all have a space where we can step up, show up, and make change happen, which is why I'm so excited to talk to my friend, Michelle Watley, who founded Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet, named after, of course, Shirley Chisholm. We'll get into that story. But Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization committed to amplifying the voices and power of Black women through education and advocacy. So we can effectively advocate for the issues that personally matter to us, whether if it's our kids getting their education, social justice, or how about just exhibiting personal power in our own lives through self-care, through rest, to help us be, I know it's cliche, the best version of ourselves. But harnessing our personal and political power matters. It just doesn't impact our everyday lives, but the lives of the next generation. It definitely can, so don't short yourself. So come on, girl, sit down for this chat. Grow Woman Stuff with me, Julie Jones, and my friend, Michelle Watley, Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet. It is time for Grown Woman Stuff with me, Julie Jones. And this time we are talking grown women, particularly black women, because we pop in. And of course, to have that conversation, I have got to have my good friend on the line, Michelle Watley of Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet. How you doing, Shell? I am good. How are you, Jules? Doing good. Of course, I know that you are a busy lady because politics never sleeps. But first of all, for those who maybe aren't familiar or just tuning in for the first time, tell us more about Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet and, of course, your journey to start this prolific political organization giving voices for Black women so we can advocate for ourselves. I think that's a great place to start. So Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet is a nonpartisan nonprofit dedicated to amplifying the voices of power of Black women. Uh, and we do this through education and training so that Black women can be better advocates, more effective advocates on mm-hmm. behalf of the issues that matter to them and the communities that they serve. It's named for Shirley Chisholm, the godmother of advocacy yes. and civic engagement in politics. Shirley Chisholm is the first Black woman to have been uh, elected to Congress. Shirley Chisholm is also the first Black woman to have uh, run for president on a major party ticket. Shirley Chisholm uh, started a number of advocacy organizations during her time in Congress, including the Congressional Black Caucus, including League Women Voters and other institutions. But Shirley Chisholm also took time uh, to exercise her civic duties in more uh, not so overt ways. She was a census taker, for instance, in Brooklyn to make sure Black people were counted during the census, uh, during the years that she she serves as a taker. So we uh, work in the spirit of Shirley Chisholm in that we work to wield the collective power of Black women. We work to educate and train Black women in advocacy practices and tactics that they typically are not exposed to. And then we work to position Black women for seats at decision-making tables, because like Shirley Chisholm said, Mm -hmm. if they don't give you a seat at the table, you need to bring a folding chair. And we're bringing folding chairs and building our own tables. So that is the work of Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet. I came to this work through my my time in politics. Um, I've, I've had a very interesting career path. 
I started off as a carpenter with the Carpenters Union here in Kansas City. Girl, when you say that, every time you say that, I just got to stop you because I'm trying to picture my beautiful friend, you know, her, her hair, her hair be tight all the time. She got it together. And I'm every time I see that, like, what on that day at work made you say, uh-uh, hold on, let me switch gears? <laughs> I actually graduated high school, was looking for a way uh, to develop skills that I could always have to help me garner an income in construction was okay. was the way I went about that. I worked for J.E. Dunn for almost five years. Uh, I worked on some of the biggest jobs in Kansas City. I wore a hard hat and tool belt, and I did not just hold the stop sign in the streets. I actually built stuff. I can go into the Nebraska Furniture Mart and point at the stuff that I built uh, with my hands. I enjoyed the trades, but um, found that it wasn't the highest use of the gifts that God gave me. Mm. And so decided to to go into another direction where I was offered to be a, a superintendent. I'd have been the first black female superintendent for J.E. Dunn and worked very hard to get to that level, but decided to switch gears because it wasn't the highest use of the gifts that, that God gave to me. Um, it's funny you say that. I see the men that I worked with in the field back in the day. <laughs> they saw a very different Michelle, a Michelle that wore uh, steel toe boots and a hard hat and a do-rag and braids to the back. And I see them and they'll, they don't even recognize me. They'll, ma'am, excuse me, or, you know, <laughs> hello, ma'am. And I'm just laughing because they have no idea who I am. Um, so you're not the only one that can't clearly imagine it. I got my first touch of politics, taste of politics uh, in, the, in the trades, in the union, because unions are highly engaged mm -hmm. in politics. They work very hard to advocate for the issues that, are, that matter to their union members. Um, and so when I left construction, I got a, a degree in communications. And what I was finding is I was still involved in advocacy and politics. Spent a year as a Rotary ambassadorial scholar living in Holland, uh, the yeah. international capital for politics. The UN is located there, the International Criminal Court. Uh, did that for a year and came back home and, and made a hard pivot into government and politics, working for Jason Kander as a senior uh, director in his administration. Uh, working for Bernie Sanders as the uh, 2016 political director for Black Outreach uh, and work nationwide and continued to work on races from there. What, what prompted me to start Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet was the anger and frustration I experienced during the 2016 campaign cycles. Mm. I had worked for Bernie Sanders, who is arguably one of the most progressive and furthest left-leaning Democrats to have run uh, a real competitive right. race in a number of decades. And I worked for Chris Coster, who uh, had formerly been a Republican, had been born and bred mm -hmm. in the political realm, so to speak, in Missouri, uh, and represented probably uh, pretty far to the right, moderate political ideology. So at this point, I had worked on campaigns at both ends of the Democratic political spectrum, uh, and had worked on campaigns at the national and local levels. And what I found was the common thread is a is a disregard for the um, political acumen and contributions mm. and wants, needs and desires of black voters, particularly black women. I was seeing black women volunteer for these campaigns and give time and resources and money and not be valued. Uh, and we've seen that across the, mm -hmm. the uh, social advocacy spectrum. Black women started the Me Too movement. Yes. But their stories got lost as the movement was co-opted by white women. Black women started the Black Lives Matter movement. Yes, ma'am. And, and you didn't hear the stories of black women's encounters with police. You didn't hear about 
the host clock case in Oklahoma, the case of the officer who had targeted, admitted right. to targeting black women who had records and sexually assaulting them. And he targeted mm -hmm. them because, as he states, he knew no one would believe them if they were to come forward. Stories like that got lost and were not uplifted in the Black Lives Matter movement, although it was black women's labor and love, toil and toiling that that created the movement that so many have benefited from as far as creating policy change as it relates to to police reform. Those of you that have heard about the host clock case, you heard about it because of the work of a black woman who mm. did the work for free, who put her life at risk to create the national exposure and attention to the issue that uh, the, the host clock case didn't have previously. So that's what prompted me to start Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet. I find myself frustrated, frustrated by what I saw behind the scenes in the quote unquote smoke filled rooms uh, in political campaigns and political spaces. I found myself frustrated with what I saw and felt that if I was going to go through the troubles that you have to go through mm -hmm. as a black woman who's under 40 in the field of politics, if I'm going to go through all that, it can't be just for a job or just for a paycheck. It needs to be and it needs to yield something bigger than those tangible um, outcomes. I wanted to see change. And so that's why I started Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet. And that is what drives me to continue to do the work today. And you're so impressive because you are, you still a little young thing. You know, I got to look at you as my little sister. I'm older than you. Now I ain't old enough to be your mama, but. You <laughs> <laughs> see, black don't crack because I don't know how old you are. Like you, you need to tell us where this fountain of youth that Girl. you're drinking from is. I'm going to text you how old I am. I can't believe I, all these years I've known you. I've never told you my age. You have not. And I have no idea. <laughs> and I've always just assumed you're just a few years like, like I would have come into high school as you were transitioning out. And, and from what I'm hearing to that today, that may not be. The I case. don't know. I'm going to text you later. You just let me just send me an emoji back. <laughs> just, just let me know. But the, the, to think that you took your frustration and those things that you were um, passionate about and your gifts and put it into civic service for others. What do you say to other women who are carrying their frustrations, whether it's from being in spaces that they're not welcome in their workplace or it's how their neighborhoods are being cared for, their children, uh, what their school board is doing, or even in the faith-based community? How do we channel that, Michelle, to make it into meaningful work? That's a great question. I think we have to operate from a space of intentionality. And I say that because what I have found is that Black women are engaged. And yes. Black women sense the same frustration in the various spaces that they are present in and they will advocate. They will uh, work to create change. They will step up into leadership when necessary. We do this all the mm -hmm. time, but we are often prompted to do so because there's a void or because we feel like if we don't do it, no one else will. We don't oftentimes from what I've experienced step into these spaces with the intention of, not only creating change, um, but doing so because not only because it needs to be done or no one else would do it, you know, it mm -hmm. has to be me, but because we are the architects and the deciders and because we know we have the power to do so. Right. And so coming from that, that place and space, we don't often come from that, that space. It's often reactionary. It's not proactive. We don't, often have the time and the space to step back and look at 
how we want to utilize our gifts and to what end. We don't often take inventory of our gifts and appreciate the gifts that our life experiences have brought us, that God has given to us, that we are uniquely blessed with. Mm -hmm. And so I think that Black women have to take time to take that inventory, do the assessment, the internal work of figuring out what issues do matter to me, what is important to me, what is the mark that I want to leave on this earth uh, before I transition to the ancestral plane, and then take inventory of the gifts and skills that you already have, and then think about how those gifts and skills can be wielded to create the change you want to see from wherever you are. And it doesn't require a master's degree. It doesn't require college education. It doesn't oftentimes require a bunch of money or the right connections. If you take inventory of what you have and what you can contribute and what your experience brings to you, your life, I think you will find that you have what it takes already. It's just a matter of figuring out where you want to use those skills and to what end uh, so that you can accomplish whatever it is you seek to accomplish. When we talk about legislators or policy change, oftentimes we forget that legislators are A, human beings, Mm -hmm. B, people just like us who do not know everything, who are not experts, who are no better positioned to advocate on behalf of any issue. And C, we have to remember that legislators are inundated with so many issues. Your city council person is looking at 50 different issues a week that they're being asked to take action on, to to have information about, and to be able to advocate for. There's no human being that has Mm -hmm. all of that information at their disposal. So the single mother who is having an issue with her child's education, for instance, and has experienced uh, a unique circumstance because of the rules and policies set up by the school board, for instance, she's uniquely positioned to share that experience with school board members who may not be aware of it. Yes. And thereby positioning herself as an expert and as a resource for information for a school board member who, quite frankly, does not have time to dig into every single issue and get the background research and all of the details. So by virtue of your very experience as a mother trying to make sure your child is educated, you have um, information that you can bring that makes you a valuable asset and resource that allows you to contribute to change in education and that allows you to have a connection with a policymaker uh, who maybe would not be able to advocate on behalf Mm -hmm. of your issue had you not stepped forward or had you not shared that information. So that's a long way of saying Take inventory of your skills and experiences, figure out what's important to you, and don't be afraid to step in and take action. I'm glad you said that because I think we see so many women who are doing the doggone thing from Dr. Kizzy, that's what I call her, making, you know, with the Moderna vaccine, from Kamala Harris being our vice president, to so many, Marsha Fudge over, you know, HUD. We see local lawmakers, Cori Bush is standing right now, she bring all the smoke. And we tend to think that it has to be a woman with a certain education acumen. Do I need to be an attorney? Do I need to be, you know, super what they would call a, a great communicator? But it sounds to me, if we're going to honor what I would call our inner Stacey Abrams, we got to take it from the space of who we are. So that way it's authentic and it can really bring light to some situations. Yeah, that's exactly it. The 
spectrum of advocacy is long. There are so many places that you can enter that don't require all of these credentials. And if you look at the women you just named, Cori Bush was a nurse and a preacher. Yes. She's on MSNBC with a tattoo on the front of her chest, (laughs) telling it like it is, right? She does not fit the stereotypical look or doesn't speak in the way that we typically expect public leaders to speak, but she's still making her voice heard. You talk about women like Fannie Lou Hamer. Fannie Lou Hamer, if I'm not mistaken, didn't even graduate high school. But because of her tenacity, because of her experience, because of her uh, passion for organizing in the rural South and not being not uh, quitting, she didn't quit. She was beat in a police cell and still continued to advocate for voting rights in the South. She was able to initiate the creation of a whole other party wing of the Democratic Party and speak at the national convention. The women that you're talking about uh, didn't typically come from uh, backgrounds that we would expect women with these platforms and who utilize their voices in the ways that we admire. They don't come from those backgrounds oftentimes. Shirley Chisholm was an elementary school teacher Mm -hmm, before she mm -hmm. ran for Congress. She was teaching our kids. And it's that very experience and background that helped her as she got on uh, congressional committees and was doing the work. I started off in construction. Right. I'm in politics. So, no, you don't have to have a certain education. You don't have to be connected to certain people. You really just have to take inventory of what you do well and how it can apply to creating change. If you love numbers, you probably have a, a propensity for data that you can look at numbers and, t- and assess what they mean and analyze and break that down. There's a need for that in advocacy. You're a corporate leader. You're the SVP, senior vice president, what whatnot, <laughs> and maybe you can't be out front. But you might have access to dollars that could help women who are out here advocating in their efforts to push yeah. things forward. You could hold a brunch with your with your girlfriends and raise money for the causes that are important to you, because that's one area, one space that black organizers and leaders uh, often have lack. We don't have access to the yeah. resources and dollars to get things moved. Holding a brunch every quarter to raise money for those issues and to support those organizers on the ground is a way to advocate. You love talking to people and you know everybody and their mama and you grew up with everybody in their mama in Kansas City. and You know people from city council to Congress to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Oboe on the corner. You're a connector. You know people. You see how the dots align. You can help with power mapping. You can help with connecting causes to the people who can get things done and moved. So there's a space for Black women across the advocacy spectrum that doesn't require you to run for office or be a protester. I'd like to say that those are two ends Mm -hmm. of the advocacy spectrum, but there's a whole swath of ways to engage in between that you can do right now from where you are. That is a powerful statement. And I think because black women, we have been at the helm. Just think about the 2020 election. We look mm-hmm. at Georgia. We look at mm-hmm. Stacey Abrams, Latasha Brown, a Black Voters Matter. We look at all that. And black women are really carrying a load. But Michelle, with everything going on and the racial inequities that we see and the things that frustrate us, I know one topic that is very important to you is black women, as we harness our personal and political power, is creating balance and space for ourselves and, and, and peace for ourselves and havens. What are some practical ways that we can do that? Because there's so much. It's so much. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And you bring that up and it makes me think of Fannie Lou Hamer again. As I mentioned, I don't think she graduated from high school. She mm-hmm. organized uh, black and white people in the rural South, was able to speak at the national convention, had done all these great things. And Fannie Lou Hamer, when she passed, she passed a breast cancer that went untreated. Mm, my God. She was so involved in the movement that she didn't take the time to go get it checked out. And it makes you wonder if we had just had Fannie Lou Hamer for another five years, what would our world be like today? She was doing the organizing work that people are paying millions of dollars to have done today. Mm-hmm. She's doing the organizing work that women like NSA uh, at the New Georgia Project and Stacey Abrams are doing today. But how much further could we have gotten if we had had her exactly. for just five more years? When we are not well, it doesn't just impact us. It impacts those that we love, those that are closest to us, and the communities that we want to change. And so we have to be intentional and steadfast about ensuring that our personal health and well-being is taken care of because we're not positioned to take care of anyone else if we are not taken care of. And when we are not here and we are not driving these movements, it's a loss for everybody. And it's a it's a burden that we bear. Um, but I think that's what makes us unique, great, special, beautiful, magic. It's all of the things that makes Black women who we are and what we are. But again, we cannot go about this if we're burnt out, if we're tired, if we're stressed out, if we're unhealthy. And so I think a few ways are to always carve out time for yourself in mm-hmm. whatever way uh, you feel replenished. So if that's shutting off the cell phone for an hour every day, if that's getting up a little earlier so you don't have to spend the first hours of your day dealing with the kids and the husband or the boyfriend, if that is making sure you go for a run outside right. three times a week, we can't put our health aside. It has to be prioritized like we prioritize everything and everyone else. Because if you're not here, people uh, lose out. We lose out. You're needed. You're important. And if you believe that, then you have to take the time for yourself. Thriving and living our best lives is the foundation by which we do our work for Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet. So we look for ways to eliminate obstacles for Black women to participate. For instance, you can bring your kids to a Shirley's KC event. Oh, absolutely. Yes. We have all of our events on the bus line. We have food at every event. So that you ain't got to worry about if you hungry, it don't matter. We're going to feed you so you can concentrate. <laughs> we try to, to eliminate the barriers uh, that seem small and significant, but can be the difference between you participating and not. Um, we work to ensure that we operate by the adage of many hands make light work. Shirley's KC, the kitchen cabinet is black women. We all have something to contribute. So we create space for black women to contribute where they can so that one or two or a few of us are not charged with carrying the load. We got to carry the load everywhere else. We shouldn't have to carry the load with each other. And part of wielding the collective power of black women is to take a look at the landscape and say, if there's work that's already being done, we don't need to create the wheel. We can support or contribute to the work that's already being done. And our work and our charge is to fill in the voids or the gaps. So that way we're supporting other black women who are taking the lead and we Mm -hmm. are utilizing our collective power to create impact and change. And that's really how change gets brought about. I talk about uh, labor 
and their involvement in politics. But the reason why they are so powerful is because of their numbers and their ability to pull together their union members at any point to make it difficult for an elected leader to vote against their interests or to support uh, an elected leader to to vote in their interests. And it's that collectivism, which is innate to Black people. We are a people of mm-hmm. uh, collective unity and engagement and, and culture. Collectivism is at the root of what it means to be Black, but they utilize that collectivism to get things done. And we have the same opportunity to do so. And so that's how we work to ensure that Black women are not overburdened by the work of creating yeah. change and being catalysts for change. And, you know, everybody's still marveling about Stacey Abrams, which the work, Stacey wasn't overnight. Now, don't get it twisted. There were lots of resources. The sister has done the work. But many are asking, Michelle, and you know, before we wrap this conversation up, we got to discuss what we going to do here in Missouri. Because, you know, midterms are going to be here before we know it. 2020 be here before we know it 2024 be here before we know it and trump has not gone anywhere no he's still lurking in the bushes chad he's talking and then we got holly Mm. and he he ain't lurking he's he's out here joshua david i think what uh made what we saw in georgia was 10 years in the making yeah what we saw in georgia was stacy abrams political acumen and understanding of political processes and her ability to leverage her time in the Georgia state house Mm -hmm. to make the policy changes that need to be made to work with leaders across the aisle and to get across to to um, parts of the state that she normally would not be able to get to had Mm -hmm. she not made those relationships across the aisle in Georgia and her intentionality around bringing in outside stakeholders Hmm. to move the, the work fo- forward. So she worked very closely with NSA over at the New Georgia Project to ensure that her work in the Georgia State House and the work that she could do from where she sat as an elected official was supported by the work of NSA in organizing the grassroots on the outside of the Capitol's uh, building. Does that make hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah. And that's, when I say everybody has a role, the advocacy spectrum has a number of places for people to enter. But if we have people positioned in all of those places, what you get is a comprehensive ecosystem by which policy can be moved and things can be changed. If you have someone that's telling the story and somebody that's helping with the funding and somebody that's analyzing the data and somebody that's moving in the halls of the Capitol building and somebody that's moving the people on the ground and someone like me who can put all the pieces together and draw out and map out mm-hmm. the strategy, when you have all of those pieces in place, you can get things moved and done. And that's what we saw in Georgia. You didn't hear about the new Georgia project 10 years sure ago, Stacey Abrams 10 years ago, because they were doing the work. And that's the other component of advocacy that I think people don't understand. It's sausage making and it's often done in the dark. Ooh, I like we that. didn't hear about these organizations until 10 years mm-hmm. after they started because they were with their nose to the grindstone doing the work. This work is not glamorous. It is not often people facing and things are moving when you don't know it. And so you might not always get the glory immediately. You may not be in the articles or on the news all the time, but if you're, 
you know, head down, focused on the work, you can create the change you want to see. So what we need to do here in Missouri is start to develop the infrastructure that's needed to get not only black voters and other voters of color, but voters in rural areas and Mm -hmm. other parts of the state uh, to get on board with an agenda that supports the needs and wants of all Missourians. And when we talk about what it takes to win, we, we like to think and say that Missouri is a red state and by all uh, political polling and yeah. uh, data indications, we are. Trump won by 15 points in 2020. He won by 18 points in 2016. But this is also the same red Republican conservative state that voted for overwhelmingly medical marijuana, yeah. that voted for overwhelmingly minimum wage, that voted for in 2016 overwhelmingly uh, campaign finance reform. And again, in 2020, the language was tricky, but mm-hmm. essentially there's a sense that people thought that they were voting for campaign finance reform. And so that leaves what it tells me, what that information tells me is that when people are given the opportunity to vote for the issues, they That's typically right. vote the right way. It's when you put in the political partisanship, when you put political partisanship on the table, that's where things start to go awry. And so we've got to do the groundwork of laying the infrastructure so that black and brown voters come out uh, in the numbers at the highest numbers that they can. And then it's up to operatives and consultants and political leaders from the Democratic Party to go to those rural parts of the state That's right. where people are voting the right way on the issues, but may not be voting for the right candidate. And to do the work to educate those voters, to help them understand the implications of not voting uh, for the elected leaders that will champion the causes that they support, and to turn those voters over. We also need to do a better job of investing in the base Financially, absolutely, the party needs to do a better job of engaging the base, which includes black and brown voters, black voters, investing the dollars to ensure that those voters are engaged year round, not just when there's an election. Mm -hmm. And that that spending matches the desired turnout. If you look at campaign spending, the spending on black voters, for instance, is dismal, 0.0 percent. Although black voters make up anywhere between eight to 11 percent of the voting population that actually comes out to vote at minimum, your spending should match that percentage. And it never does. And it's the hardest thing to convince candidates and campaigns to do despite a continued cycle of losing. Yes. I don't know how many more times how many we times y'all need to take them L's. <laughs> right. Like how many more times we got to lose before y'all decide to do something different? Um but we can't rely on the parties and the political operatives to make those changes. We, the people have to take it in our hands, do the work, make sure those closest to us are voting and that we are making our voices heard on key issues. And that we must do. I see Michelle and gave y'all some free campaign advice. All y'all trying to run for Roy Blunt Senate seat. Y'all better tune in. Do do some work in Wyandotte. Let's go to Kansas side. We got to get Wyandotte out to vote to the polls because they could make a difference too. You know, Michelle, I always laugh because somebody asked me, my coworkers one day, it's like, are you going to run for office? Which would be hilarious. 
because, <laughs> you know, I guess my first speech would be, you know, I used to party. Yes, I kicked it. I went to every single club here. I smoked weed. I did all that. And it, But if there was anything said, if there are no pictures, because there were no cell phone cameras, it didn't happen. <laughs> That's right. It didn't happen if you ain't got no proof. Like, where are your pictures? <laughs> Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. Sharice Davids, you don't have it in in lock. Like you need to make sure Sis, that you turn that county and all the other yes. counties that you need to turn out and do the investment. And if again, what Insay and Stacy were able to accomplish in Georgia was continued investment year round. We're seeing the fruits of that labor over the last 10 years. They didn't stop when elections stopped. They continued to engage. They found the dollars and made the investment. And even though they weren't often fully funded at the levels right. they needed they were still able to make change. And so, yeah, there's no excuse. If we want to see something different in Missouri, because what we have in Missouri now is a hot mess. You have legislators at the Capitol trying to pass bills that will uh, make it a felony if you caught protesting and will make you lose your job if you caught protesting and makes it okay for people to hit you with their car if you protesting and they happen to drive through. Uh, They are making it harder for you to vote. They will be drawing the lines that decide who gets to run for office and how these elections will go. So while we are sitting and contemplating and thinking or saying that our vote doesn't matter and not engaged, they work in double time to make sure your vote don't count. And they are spending goo gobs of money yes. to ensure that you stay in the house. If your vote didn't count, they wouldn't spend no. billions with me. No. Billions of dollars to get it. It's valuable and they're willing to spend the money to get it. So we got to make sure we wield it. That's right. So make sure you get engaged, harness your personal and political power. Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet.org. Check out our Facebook page. Uh, you can stay up to date with the different events. There's one going on March 30th. We're going to sit at the feet of our founders. We also can keep you up to date on the Crown Act and get involved with us now because the work actually doesn't stop. Thank you, Shell, for taking time out to talk to me today, sis. <laughs> Thank you, Jules. And let me know when you decide to change your mind about running for office. We can spend all of that and make it work. You'd be a great official. <laughs> oh, I love talking to Michelle. And we joke about me being a political nerd. Now, as far as me running for any type of office, Jesus himself will have to come to the foot of my bed and be like, Julie, run, run, Julie, run. But hey, if somebody wants to hire me for a political campaign, I'll let you grow. <laughs> But seriously, no matter where we're at or what season life we're in, we do have personal and political power. But keep in mind the part of the conversation we often miss, self-care. We cannot put on our capes and save everybody else if we don't take care of ourselves. Our self-care benefits everybody around us. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Grown Woman Stuff. And check me out weekdays, 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. on KPRS Hot 103 Jams or go to kprs.com. I'll talk to you soon. Music Alpha Music Library, property of Carter Broadcast Group.